The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Break, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, it's football. Football, football, football. Also, basketball just wrapped up uh, for the summer. Uh, yes. Uh, which sounds are. funny because they're going to be up like two weeks and then back to school. Is that right? Something like that? Yeah, I mean, the semester starts in a week and a half, so. Gone for two, uh, back for two, something like that. Well, they'll still have, I mean, they're not going to do team activities again until I think like late September. So it's going to be a little bit before they're back on the floor as a unit. Yeah, so that's the way you worded that, because then you've got you know, weight room, you can do There'll individuals. There'll be plenty of weight rooms, plenty of indie stuff. Individuals. You know, they'll get shots up on their own. They'll come in here and work out together, but just with no coaches in the room, that sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, this, there's plenty of, of basketball as well. All that, uh, and still waiting on the non-cons schedule, as we say in the biz. And uh, uh, Women's basketball is um, coming along. I think they got most of it. Uh, they're still trying to get one or two more tied down, but Joe Silvestri said it was a lot tougher this year than it was for last year. Shocker. I know, right? You win, what, 26 games, set school record, and suddenly people don't want to play you? <laughs> and wow. surprisingly, men's basketball is having a hard time, which normally isn't the case, but they're having a hard time getting home games because, you know, nobody wants to play anybody on the road. No, Ever. they don't. They all want to play neutral games, and Eamon Brennan, who is a notorious UVA guy, but other than that, he's fantastic, um, he wrote a piece about how more than 50% of uh, men's basketball non-conference games last year were neutral site games. They were not true home-away games, and that's ridiculous, and it needs to be rectified. Um, and this, is, this goes back to, and you've told me about this before, I've heard Steve Forbes talk about it before, um, that coaches probably have too much control over their own schedules. And in order to get games and get people to go places, like coaches are, for lack of a better term, there are a lot of coaches out there that are scared to go on the road. They don't want to go on the road because they might lose. Might lose in somebody else's environment. Well, if you lose in a neutral environment, you don't care. Like, you could still go out there and lose. You could bring them to your place, into your environment, and they could still beat you. But, I mean, they're just, you know, it's, they are afraid of creating an environment where they are more likely to lose. And as a result, all the best games cost uh, everybody an airline ticket. And it's just really disappointing. So, uh, uh, Brooks did say in his uh, presser last week that uh, – Delaware has uh, apparently backed out at the, at the 11th hour uh, from a game that they were scheduled to come play in Johnson City. So they are looking to get one more quality home opponent. He teased an opponent that ETSU used to be in a conference with, which could be any number of schools. Um, oh, but, I'm uh, sorry, I missed that. What was the quote? Used to be in a conference. It's, right? a, it's a former conference opponent that oh, okay. people have been ex- – it's Ooh, a regional okay. as okay. well. So uh, I think that you know that narrows the field. I think there are probably three or four teams that come to mind for people. Obviously, App State has already been announced for, I believe, November 29th. Yeah. 
and that was already contracted. That was already contracted. Yes. So uh, uh, let's see. They played Georgia Southern in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just played Elon uh, last year. I mean, you're talking about could you go College Charleston? Um, could you go? You want you want me to lob one at you that I, I think this is who it is. Okay. Like I am actually fairly confident that it's Marshall. Oh, okay, I would love that. I would love that. I, That's a great one. Yeah, um, that would be a great get. That would really get people fired up, too, I feel like. I mean, that I think would, if you threw out Marshall, you, you're, you're, you're really going back and getting some people fired up on the old SoCon. I think Southern and Apps, kind of that same realm of the old Southern Conference, sort of the newfangled uh, SoCon before the Bucks left. That Then you could throw in the Elons, the College of Charleston, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Davidsons, the blah blah blahs Everybody out kind of in that realm. The schools that don't you play give football, me, which we're supposed to be talking about. If you give me, though, Marshall, yeah, you could just, yeah it's one of my favorites. I know. Um, that's, okay. That's, that's right. of, I just wanted to get well, you revved a, up that, for that football. Is, that, that is a fun fun little which which team is it going to be Yeah. Uh, talk. But, uh, and that did get me immediately think of not just some of the great basketball games that ETSU and Marshall's had, but it certainly does remind me of what we're about to talk about, which is the old foosball. Yes, because ETSU and Marshall played some entertaining football games way back when. Marshall is actually the reason for the um, FBS transition rules. Because when they won their national title, it was in 97? Uh, uh, 96. 96. When they won it in 96, uh, they were over the scholarship limit because they were in the process of transitioning to FBS. So that's the reason that uh, schools that are transitioning up have that season of ineligibility on the, the back end of their time in FCS football when they're moving up is because Marshall... So you're saying Marshall cheated? Uh, Marshall would have been cheaters under the existing rules that did not exist. I, don't know, I just heard cheaters, that's all. But were created because of Marshall. Where's Robert Harper? It's, it's, they, 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 ran, they ran um, the T-Rex. Jeff, remember Jeff Gordon ran the, the Jurassic Park car with the T-Rex on it? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you can do that once. And then NASCAR said, this car comes with us. It goes to Charlotte. It stays uh, in Charlotte. It stays in, uh, in a museum forever. You can never race it again. If we catch you doing it again, we will, we will nuke your team from orbit. Is that a direct quote? No. You just paraphrased? I like no. it. But, the, yeah, the T-Rex was the name of the car, and that, that was the name of the car because it had the T-Rex on the front because it was promoting, yeah. uh, I think, the Lost World. But that, that was for the All-Star race, and it won him a million dollars. And he said, you're never going to race this car again. Catch you with any parts from it, you, you're going to get bad hammered. Uh, that's basically what Marshall did. Anyway, football. I We have talked about this a little bit, but, but the first scrimmage was over the weekend. And uh, I got a chance to go to that scrimmage. And um, you have articulated this point. I think this is a valid point. I think it reflects a little bit of what I saw, is that typically early, and, and especially in the first scrimmage, the defense should have a little bit of the offense. And I think for the most part that played out in scrimmage number one for the Bucks at Green Stadium last Saturday. I will say a couple offensive guys did stand out. Um, you know, Xavier Geardetz ran uh, a great route down the sidelines, wide open. 
Uh, not sure if it was just, you know, really well-schemed route, busted coverage or what, but uh, Tyler Rydell hit him in stride. They looked like they've got really good chemistry already, and uh, Gearhead scored a touchdown on it. Um, yeah, there were, there were several guys on offense that looked good, but there were also a couple guys on defense that I thought really impressed. You know, Chris Hope, he caught, I think it was Amir Dendi, in the flat, catching a little quick out pass, and absolutely flattened him. Like, I could hear, I was in the press box, and I could hear it. That's how hard he hit Amir Dendi. Just clock, and down he went. Um, Tyree Rainey, Jordan Hoskins, all guys that stood out. I guess, really, I'm just kind of like dancing all over, uh, but I thought the defense was a little bit better than the offense. Honestly, I thought the defense uh, was continuing to get better. When I went to practice this morning, the defense really, really seemed to be making the kind of strides that you want your defense to make. They were, they were clearly better than they were in practice number one, number two, first full pad practice, which I believe was number four. Uh, we're now 11, 12 practices in, and the defense has just clearly gotten so much better and, and is, is cohesive now. Uh, I think that group has a lot to be proud of in terms of the strides that it has made. I've just watched too much of this, not just this go-around football, but the previous round of football and the first scrimmages, It's especially the first scrimmage, it always seems like the defense is a little more dominant. And some of it has to do with just a lot of fire timing of things, Sometimes you've got a lot of new guys trying to learn the offense, which is no offense to defensive players because you can't have complicated defenses, but there's there's more stuff in the offensive side of the ball, I think, to put in than the defensive side of the ball. Now, Billy Taylor may hear this and fight me down the road someday, but, you know, I don't think well, he, Billy has he doesn't new, have a 300-page playbook. No, but, well, he doesn't have one in preseason. He'll add a new blitz right. every three days. Right, and with the fact that Stephen Scott came back, Andre Davis came back, Devin Brantley came back. I mean, yeah, Zach West has been in the program a really I long mean, time. Sheldon you know, Arnold, Arnold Hope, and, you know, Evans. Even we talked about Javon Henderson's leadership skills of explaining stuff to the dude. So there's a lot yeah. of, you know, this is what we do here and, and type things that are going on that I think are just easier early. And then I think, you know, the offense kind of turns corner. And specifically for this year's offense, which I think the offensive line is going to be – way better, and I believe that, but they're still learning Coach Guillermo, a lot of the newer guys are, you know, some are relearning the system, some are learning a system because of how it is, because they will look like Randy Sanders' system, but the terminology is a little different. Obviously, there's tweaks in there. I think it's harder for the linemen, it's going to take them a second to kind of gel, because how many guys have played together? One or two, if that. I mean, I'm just trying to do the math. And yeah, ever hard and chip, and they didn't really play beside each other a whole lot. I don't think. No, no, because ship played early, and they got ever ever hard. Ever hard so early and played late, late so yeah. they didn't play at all. So, and you know, then when Sean got in, some I mean, Flowers and Flores limited. Uh, yeah, Flowers a little more than Flores as far as, as and and that, that line has been missing. So you've got you know Luke Smith. Uh, at, I think the third or fourth day of camp picked up a little bit of an injury and has missed some time, and uh, he's going to be back later this week. He's very close to returning, uh, but he's missed a little bit of time too, so that's going to impact how the line looks. Jackson Riley's held his own as the center. 
Uh, and, and I think he has shown. And one thing that we have learned as guys have been in and out with, you know, little injuries, things that are not necessarily enough to keep them from competing for the season, but are the, like the little day-to-day things that you put on the green jersey, the no-contact jersey, you go through drills a couple days, and then maybe you're back at it. Uh, as we've gone through those things, or as we've seen the team go through those things, I think we have learned that this group does have a little bit more depth than maybe we were worried about given the number of players that left in the transfer portal, the fact that not every single one of those players got replaced right away. This team is going to be a little bit deeper than our worst fears, even if it's not as deep as maybe we would like it to be, which is, of course, we want every position to be four players deep and we want it to be an unstoppable juggernaut. But I I think they've got enough to get by at several spots that – Maybe you and I were a little bit anxious about. Now, I don't know about corner. Corner is still thin. But offensive line, I feel better about the depth, especially on the interior. I feel like the depth of the offensive line is where you want it to be, where if you need one of those guys to step in and play extensive reps, you can do it and you can win games. I think the biggest question, I think no doubt, cornerback is probably the biggest sort of question mark right now. Now, I like, and we'll talk about this in a second, who, you know, maybe we'll do the pick three again or something, you know, who's been impressive, what have we been able to see, but I feel like, you know, cornerback, all right, the depth, though, if a couple guys go down, who's there? It's all young guys that you haven't seen play before. I think I had a lot of questions at linebacker, but the more I've seen the transfers be able to play at reps, I feel very confident. The front seven is fine. Yes, and Billy Taylor, if nothing else we know, he can – I think he could turn into a great linebacker. Semi-decent. We'll go see my days. Replace, I could be a replacement level linebacker. Yeah, I'm just like saying, I feel like it, Between it, Billy and Lou and Gatewood, yeah, I could, yeah, I, I could I feel be like, a you know, that's, We know he can coach linebackers. So it doesn't really matter who's in there is going to be able to do that. And I feel pretty confident he knows, you know, what he's doing with the front three. He self-admitted, like, the secondary, though, you know, I, I know what I'm telling, what, what to coach, whatever, but I don't, I don't do technique. I, I don't know right, right, right. some things there. So, And I think Teddy Gaines is a great get, especially in the – time that you got him uh, to come back over to ETSU for a second stint, and he knows the system very well. And again, we've talked about this. One has championship Tennessee, several years in the NFL. I mean, so he can easily sell, okay. hey, I know what I'm doing here. Yeah, I, I, want, I want a t-shirt with Teddy Gaines' face on it that just says, get to the football. If I had a quarter for every time he says get to the football or, and practice. Or just run. Every once in a while. Or just, just say, run. That's yeah. just two. That's, yeah. two. that's I, all I, I know is how they say. Yeah, but I, I want get to the football. Um, if I had a quarter for every time he said that, I could probably pay off my house. It never fails. At some point, one of the DBs is going to do something, and they'll turn and look. If they get burnt, they slip and fall. And he's like, just run, run, just run. Don't look at the ball. Just run. If you get beat, just run. And so – you know, good things happen when you hustle because it's underthrown or whatever it is. Yeah, you know, it's simple. Can, it's yeah. simple. It's, it's effective. It's to the point. Yeah, if you get beat, just run. Yeah, that. Uh, but it, the the energy level is. I, I cannot stress that enough. What it's like to watch practice this year compared to last year. I mean, again, we've talked about some of the new guys. I mean, you you didn't know Teddy before this, but you clearly have seen the energy from Teddy. You've seen Kirk Garner, Jake Aramo. Oh Man, they, these guys are bringing it. Like the young guys 
have brought a whole new energy to the staff. I mean, there was a great moment today. They're in the dome, and wheel route, corner of the end zone, looked like the receiver had it, goes to the ground, the unbelievable catch. The offensive guys are celebrating, and then all of a sudden there's the ball on the ground. The defensive guys, Billy Taylor's doing like a high-step incomplete thing I've never seen him do before. <laughs> I was like, I mean, just the, just the the fun, though, that went with that that, yeah. that I don't think you would have seen Last year, honestly, I don't know that you would have seen that in Randy Sanders' type. Right? It's just a different feel. There's more energy with the way that George has restructured, Coach Corals has restructured his whole staff um, to kind of bring that. And, I mean, it's, it's one of those where Kirk is yelling at somebody and then he turns around and spots me, you, and, and Desmond Pierce, who, who's in the foundation, former track runner, just to wave at us. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's one of those weird things. So He's up. like, you know, yeah. hey, Bobby, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, hey, guys, how you doing? How you doing? And he goes back to yelling at somebody. Like, it's, it's just, he it's can, interesting. He can turn it off and on like a switch. Guillermo's just got to go to a different dimension when he steps between the lines. He well, can't, we don't exist to him. We're outside the white lines. We don't exist. It's all about offensive line. I asked Guillermo, walking down the steps before he was going to practice, I said, uh, Coach, how are we coming along? And he told me it was the greatest day of his life, and this was going to be – I mean, it's just yep. one of the – and I'm sitting there like... Well, you know why it's the greatest day of his life? Because he woke up this morning. Wow, that's fair. That's, that, fair. that's his thing. Yeah. He, I, but when you talk to him, you hear the energy in his voice. 100%. 100%. You get Kirk outside the lines, and he says, well, you know, it's very nice that you had me here. And I really like doing it. I'm like, who, what are you, who are you? Like, in, <laughs> like, like, Teddy's got a lot of energy... Just talking to him in general, Jay is a ball of energy, so that's not a problem. But, but, I, I but get, Kirk I get is Kirk, a true flip the switch guy. Man. I get Kirk talking <laughs> about comic books, and then we start discussing like the oh, cosmos, yeah. like the universe. Yeah. It's Ilya Brizgalov. It's the universe. Like so humongous big. It's great. He's he's a great dude. Uh, I love talking to Kirk, and uh, they, they have brought a ton of energy. All right, but I, I want to. We we had the initial three each, right? So I think we should probably pick two a piece now in our second update additional guys that have stood out like you pick two i pick two and we write four down for this next update that's what i think we should do that's what i think we should do what do you think we should do you want to do four downs i mean i kind of set you up for it i was hoping you would i don't know where it is on the board yeah okay I got it. Four. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four down. Thought we were doing pick three. Four. Or pick six. Now we're doing four down. Four. We got to narrow it. Four down. Down. Four. Now. Not Gary, though. Four. Now. Four. 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 Now. Okay. So, you pick two, I pick two, and we'll figure it out from there. So, uh, do, do we Rochambeau for first Yes, down? we do. Yes, we do. Okay, Just here, like we here we go. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wait, 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 wait. On uh, three or on shoot? Shoot. Okay. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. <laughs> ah, there you go. I was hoping for I, another one where we were like I seven went, Okay, so I won, of course, with paper because I'm smarter than Keith. Uh, only in rock, paper, scissors, um, which is a game of smarts. Um, I'm going to go first. Last time I deferred to the second half, if you remember. Uh, I don't want you to still. I thought I, thought I won and picked first. I don't know. Did you? I thought I did. I mean, in my world, I like to. I, I think I won. Well, yeah, you, you think you won everything, so. Well, I, maybe I just let you think that. 
Well, no, that's fair. That's fair. Keep the boss happy. Yes, but you have honors. You you won you won rock paper scissors, so you have honors. Yeah, and you mentioned the defense, and uh, I think the first guy I'm going to talk about is Mike Jenkins, the cornerback, true freshman, out of Somersville, South Carolina, outstanding basketball player. But every time I see him, he just gets better. And saw him today, in which I didn't get to see the scrimmage. Uh, as Keith did on Saturday, and you had talked about he looked pretty good, but there was a play where he was kind of beat on the inside, and Tommy Witten had him beat. The throw from Rydell was coming in, and, I mean, the ground he made up and the dive to knock the ball away was incredible. Plus, he won a one-on-one matchup with Will Huzzy, which not a lot of people have done in camp so far. So I think he's making tremendous strides. I think he's pretty much at this point – not sharpied yet, a little bit, maybe a light pin in with the name Jenkins in the starting lineup. I agree. I, I, and to, to an extent, it's by default. You know, Robert McNeil picked up a pretty uh, uh, severe injury, and uh, he's not going to be in practice for a while. You know, Josh Trice had a little shoulder thing early on. He's back in practice, but he's not cleared for contact. Uh, and then uh, you got Gabe Westcott, who's your other uh, defensive back, and, and you're kind of in a position where – if you're six two and you can run, you're gonna play that spot. And at, at, at corner, I was I kind of I have heard this before. And and North Dakota State had a true freshman that started corner for him one year, and Courtney Eubanks, who was really really good, and he transferred to an FBS school, I believe. But cornerback uh, is a position where you can throw a young guy in the deep end a little bit because you either have it or you don't. It's not like defensive line where it's like, well, this guy is, you know, he's a little underweight. we got to put him through the Devo program. Once he gets that, then, we'll, then we can really start to work on our footwork and things. And you can develop them. Linebackers, it's about, you know, scheme and all this and that. Uh, and, you know, I look at it and say, and I think most people look at it and say, if you're going to play corner, it's not a position that you develop. It's a position that you have it or you don't. And if Jenkins has it, let him play. Freshmen that have played corner significant minutes or started as a true freshman. Darren Artis, that sounds like a good one. Jeremy Lewis, who had to play thrust into duty, I think a second play. They hit him over the top uh, for a touchdown VMI, and then he came back with the interception on the very next series. Karanda Lentz, freshman, knocks up the ball in the back of the end zone against Mercer, which led to the Juwan Stinson 25 yards good night call. Elijah Huzzy, true freshman, comes in. Yeah, he's pretty good. Led all freshman interceptions right now in North Carolina, all ACC. Mike Jenkins is the next guy that has a shot to put his name on a list. But all four of those names aren't names where you're like, oh, I kind of remember him. If you're a Buck fan that's watched since 2015, you know exactly who every one of those guys are, and they all played significant playing time or started as a true freshman. So interesting that he could be the next in line. So Mike Jenkins on first down. 22 is the button you're Second down. There it is. Uh, I also got to go on the defensive side of the ball. A guy that has been another fast riser and somebody that I think we probably wanted to see more of, but not maybe immediately. But DeAndre Davis has picked up an injury, and that's opened the door for Teddy Wilson to get more playing time. And, buddy, he has taken advantage of it. Uh, His JUCO statistics are very limited, uh, but 
the, the games that there are actually statistics for at Lewisburg College are very, very impressive, and you can see why. The guy just has a nose for the football. He, just, he, he knows where the ball is going. He anticipates it well. He fills gaps well, and he disrupts the play. And he makes sure that, that you're not getting past him. Uh, I, I think that's the biggest thing with this defensive front is you have a lot of guys that are and, – and granted, you're not tackling the quarterback. You're not sacking the quarterback because quarterback's in the red, no contact jersey. But you got a lot of guys that sure look like sure-handed tacklers – and I think Teddy Wilson really stands out in that respect as well. I have been a big fan of what I've seen from 27 and Navy so far this fall camp. I think it's important that he came in late and has been able yes. to pick up some stuff. So I believe he got, yeah, he, he got an offer in June, but it was not for sure that he was coming in until like the second day of fall camp, I don't believe. He showed up second day of fall camp. We were like, who's 27? Oh, that's, yeah, that's that guy. That's just, just Teddy. We didn't even know Teddy Wilson. Just Teddy. He was just Teddy for a while. That was that was one of my favorite questions. I was like, hey, uh, did we get a new guy? And um, one coach said, yeah, it's Teddy something. Just just go ask so and so. So so the running joke between me and Keith occasionally is, I was like, hey, uh, 27's uh, 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 Teddy something, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now now that we've seen him, you know, of course we know his last name, but now that we've seen him actually play and produce in lieu uh, of getting some reps, you know, from DeAndre Davis, starting to be impressed. Uh, it's the physicality because he doesn't look menacing, but he it's a reckless abandon when he fills it yeah. out. I mean, I mean, like, he, like you yeah. want your linebackers to do. Yeah, you don't have to be built like Steven Scott to be a wrecking ball. Uh, that, and, and Wilson, I think, is a great example of that. Like he doesn't – he's not the most physically imposing guy – but he's just a really doggone good football player. And that, Teddy Wilson, that's second down for me. Third down. Well, I don't know if you're going to be shocked by this, but uh, mine is Tyler Rodell. Really? It is. Okay, why does anything that T.Y. does surprise you? Because every time, again, every time people try to bury him or place him, or I've given this story, he's the Ben Allen of the football team, and Ben Allen, one of my favorite players at ETSU out of Dobbins Bennett, was a second baseman, and every year, he would end the year as a starting second baseman, and every year, he started the first eight games on the bench, and could, you know, man, you know we, got, we got to get better Ben, got to have somebody better Ben out there, and then next thing you know, Ben Allen's out there, you know, making every single play, solid play, leading, but the reason I say it this time around is I'm watching everyone else around him. So it's not necessarily what T.Y. is doing, because I think he's doing all the right things that he always does. He clearly has a great rapport with Will Huzzy. If you see them throwing, you know, during drills and whatever, I mean. He, he, and it's not just Huzzy either. Cameron Lewis, Noah Wilson. I mean, like so many of these guys that are going to be major pass catchers for the Bucks this year. And seeing the field better uh, – Twice today, there was you know they're doing seven on seven. Only two times did a defensive back slip, and both times Rydell immediately saw, picked it up, threw the guy where the guy fell. And I know that may sound easy, always yeah. oh, fell, but one happened on the other side of the field. He turned, his read was on the right, it fell on the left, 
quickly switched over to the left, made a quick throw. It's easy to be, hey, I'm going to throw to option A, and that A guy falls. Yes, that's easy. To me, it was catching that he fell on the other side. But watching how guys react to him and talk to him, and Tyler's kind of a kid where very personable, but he's also very soft-spoken. And to watch how not just Huzzy, who he's tight with, and we've talked about his, his honorary Huzzy, that the Huzzies are both, both Elijah and Will told me he's not a very Huzzy. But to watch the linemen and to watch them after a drill come talk to him, you know, rather, hey, what's this, what's that? I mean, I think it just shows me the confidence level in him. And one of the reasons which we've told the story and had him tell it that, you know, he was working at Kroger, he didn't feel like he had a rapport with the team. And that his one of his main goals was – a, figure out a way not to have to work during the season so he could concentrate on football to make him a better football player. But two, he didn't think he was around his teammates enough and the trust factor and all that. So he was going to be around the teammates. And so when you watch him, he's around not just the quarterbacks, but he's around the offense. He's around every single person that is going to do something. So it's a little more deep than just, hey, I'm picking the starting quarterback or the guy that's projected to be the starting quarterback. Right, I think it goes to a little bit. From, I'm going a little deeper than that. It, it's not just that. There are things, again, that we have access to, that we get to see, that we get to do. A lot of stuff, you know, we get to talk about. There's a lot of stuff, you know, sometimes we can't talk about. But this is one of those things where it's an easy observation. I mean, if you're just sitting back, or we do in the stands or on the sideline and seeing, there's just a different feel, I think, around right. And I think part of it is. It's going to a system he feels comfortable in. I think that's 100% some of it. But I also feel like guys are turning to look to him. Like, hey, I don't want to ask, you know, Galermo's yelled at me 15 times in a row this. What, what can you tell me? Or what am I supposed to, you know, running backs, what am I supposed to do on this? I mean, I think they are doing that. So, to me, that's why it's Tyler Rodell and not an easy cop out. Uh, player leadership is important. And I think that's something that at times last year ETSU needed some guys to step up and also needed some guys that teammates, to your point, could look to. And T.Y. can be that guy. It's kind of a natural thing for the starting quarterback to be that guy. But I certainly think that Tyler Rydell has, has taken a major step in that direction. And, again, probably the best attribute of Rydell on the field is he doesn't do a lot of dumb stuff with the football. He doesn't do things that make you go, what the heck was that? Can you explain that to me? He definitely – I know the coaches are frustrated that, like, sometimes he doesn't take chances or he doesn't push the ball enough. But in the same token, you would hear Randy Sanders, who would be openly mad about him not taking chances. He would also defend, well, game manager has a bad context because if you don't manage the game, you don't have a position to win the game late. Exactly. So it, it's one of those give and takes where, oof, man, I wish he would have maybe took a shot down there. But – if you watch Rydell, early he doesn't like to try to force. He wants to hold on to the football, but then late he's not afraid to kind of take shots. And so it's interesting to see how that how that progresses as well. It, I think the, the best way to put it is Tyler Rydell won't lose you games at quarterback. He doesn't lose you games. You know, whether he makes the extraordinary, oh, my God, you know, Jay's taking off his pants and waving them around over his head in the booth type of play, whether he does that or not, I don't know. But what he won't do is the thing that makes Jay uh, break the windows of Green Stadium's press box. 
Like, he won't do the thing that just makes you go, ah, why did you make that decision? He won't do that. He doesn't do that. It's not in his DNA. And as a result, ETSU, with a pretty good defense, has the ability to play some good complementary football because their quarterback makes smart decisions. And I think that helps ETSU win games in the long run. Fourth down. I'm going to go with a wild card. This is a guy that just jumped out at me today. And it kind of fits with the theme of freshmen, not really redshirting, might play early. And as I'm saying this, I'm thinking of somebody else that could also fit this description. Um, the guy I was going to go with was Ray Coney, the linebacker. But Coney's in a position where you know he's going to be – he's like the understudy for Steven Scott. And ideally, he won't have to play that much because Steven Scott is going to – I'm just going to knock up whatever time I say his name now. Uh, he's going to take the lion's share of the reps there. He's going to take a lot of reps there. He's going to be one of the guys that, that's on the field for most of a game. Um, another guy I want to look at then. So let's, let's take another look. Let's, let's go to the defensive line. Brendan LeBlanc does not look like a 3-4 defensive end. He looks like a fullback. He's six foot. He might be 250. I think he, rec- he was recruited at 245, or he was signed, he was listed at 245 when he signed, and you could convince me that he's 250 pounds. Six foot 250 doesn't sound like a guy that could play as a true freshman defensive lineman. Certainly not in this system where you're trying to occupy multiple gaps and the guy's going to get beat up over the course of the year. But I look at Brendan LeBlanc and I see somebody who is so gosh darn slippery. He's got a great get off and he just gets under tackles and they cannot get their hands on him to impede his ability to get in the backfield. He had three TFLs in the team periods that I watched today. Just in the periods that I watched. He had one first and goal at the five. He gets in the hole and stands Amir Dendy up at the six. And I mean, Dendy pretty big dude, can lean forward and get you a couple of yards just by accident. LeBlanc stood him up and drove him back. And that's a guy that you know, has a, has a really bright future at ETSU, I think. Certainly, you know, I, I didn't think he might, he would, I didn't think he'd stick as a defensive lineman, but clearly, clearly has the ability to be successful at that position. He's not going to need to slim down and convert to outside linebacker. He's not going to bulk up. He's not going to need to bulk up to become the nose tackle. I, I think if you look at a five technique type guy, he could fit the bill. Yeah, if he gets to 270, 275. Yeah. And, and in a time where, again, he's got four years or, you know, five years, depending on if he just plays four games this year. It depends year. on what, you know, yeah. how many games he but plays. But four this years year. from now, he's going to be 270 right. pounds, and it'll be what you would expect. If not before that. And I, I want to use him kind of as a stand-in for, I think, this entire freshman class is a little farther along than maybe you would think true freshmen are. I feel like they did – I, I, I thought this at, at, on the front end. I said, wow, they did a pretty solid job recruiting this group. You know, the, this guy's going to play, and this guy's going to play, and this guy's not, and this guy's not. And turns out most of them are actually going to play uh, fairly early. So those are players who – are going to be able to step in, utilize their four games, provide this team with some depth, 
and some of those players are going to play beyond that. I don't know if LeBlanc is a guy that will play more than his allotted four games, but I certainly think that on September 9th, you know, when ETSU plays its home opener, they're playing Carson Newman, they're getting some guys some reps, I would not be the least bit surprised to see a little bit more of Brendan LeBlanc, number 91, actually listed at 262. So he's put on 17 pounds since he signed. Uh, that's nice. I like that. At 262, you can play at 262. It's challenging. It's not easy. you got to take really good care of yourself and be very diligent in recovery. But you can play defensive line in this game at 262. There you go, four downs. Uh, can I give an honorable mention today to a guy that I, for the first time, saw something? And then, I don't know, you can throw another one out there, but Hot Rod Fitton. Yeah, well, it's the first time he's been on the field in a little bit. Yeah, I thought kind of spelling uh, Zach West at the uh, walk-up linebacker side, I, you know, that extra kind of defensive lineman, which, let's be honest, he, we knew he was either going to be an edge rusher or was going to be an outside linebacker, which is – Perfect recon guy, too. I mean, just go see ball, get ball, and yep. big strong. So I, he kind of stood out. I thought Garrett was a guy that I've not seen a lot of because he had the, the foot injury for a while. He made some outstanding plays. I mean, there's some, there's some the new names out there. The young guys in the receivers group are starting to come along. Garrett and uh, Tommy Winton are both starting to make real strides. Garrett looks like he might be a little bit ahead of the game. I, I'm not sure he's not. Well, I don't know that he's not the second-best receiver on the team, to be honest. He, he looked really, really good today. He's looked good in a couple games now. But, yeah, those guys are making some progress. I want to give honorable mention to somebody who's not involved in football at all. Before we forget, before we move on to our next segment, whatever that may be, Joe Hughley got engaged on Monday. How about that? I am the smartest oh. man alive! Not me, him. He no, is the smartest yeah. man alive. Sorry. Good for him. He's just, you know, Joe told me he was going to do that in, like, June, and I kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And I was like, I got married, and I went on my honeymoon, and I came back, and he still hadn't done it. Joe. And, and finally, you know, after summer, summer workouts, he got it done. So congratulations to Joe. And uh, the future Mrs. Hughley. One thing in common, uh, obviously my wife and attorney has soon-to-be wife and attorney. So there you go. Smart smart guys uh, doing the attorney thing, yours and the, and the med uh, thing. So, you know, we, we're, we like to, you know, marry money. Or what? You know, oh, did I say that? I, I did not marry into money. No. But that's okay. That's all right. Not yet. It's coming. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. Who's up next? Oh, I know what we're going to talk. How about uh, – the other so, side of hoops. Yeah, women's hoops just wrapped up as well, and uh, what a productive summer it was for that group. They got a lot deeper and uh, had some cool individual storylines as well. New player on scholarship, a couple new players welcomed in, former teammates at another Division One institution reunited. Got the chance to talk to talk about all of that with the head coach, Coach Mock, Brenda Mock Brown. Summer period for the ETSU women's basketball program, and 
I know that's that's exciting because it's a chance to really grow and, and it's a, a chance to work on some things that you didn't really have a chance to work on before last season. You kind of got dropped in the deep end and you just had to show up and roll. Uh, how, how nice was it to be able to install an actual defense instead of just trying to figure that out on the fly? Uh it was tremendous. <laughs> no, no question. Uh, we, we certainly missed having that summer access period last year. But, of course, kudos to the girls for adjusting as well as the staff and making do without the summer access period. But there's so much you know, beyond just installing defense, offense, and working the skill set. It's also the girls getting acclimated. You know, you're bringing in newcomers. Uh, we lost, uh, you know, a pivotal part of our program in Giselle Thomas, yep. uh, our leading scorer. <laughs> and so just getting used to life without her as well. And so just as much as we're installing defensive principles, which it's interesting you asked about that. <laughs> Why'd you ask that, Keith? You didn't ask about our ball screen offense? No, I've been to practice, Mock, a few times this uh, summer. <laughs> okay, yeah. So as much as, uh, as much as we were installing the defensive man defensive principles and working on our defensive rebounding and such and competing, we did work a bit on competing. Uh, we're doing the off-court work. You know, we did something called Team Tuesdays uh, where we're talking about, you know, I was real simple with the kids. You know, I didn't bring out the book of guidelines that they needed to follow this summer. We had five things that we're really focused on. Uh, first one being healthy choices. We were just trying to help the kids off the court. If you want to be an elite athlete, and they've said they want to be a championship-level team, uh, several of them have said, yes, we want to win the Southern Conference Championship. And so we're just checking behaviors. So do those align with our goals? And it starts with, what are you doing when we're not around? And our kids are great. You know, when, when we're around in the weight room, when we're on the court with them, they're working hard, no question. Um, but the healthy choices piece, are you eating right? Are you sleeping right? You know, you're even down to your social media intake. You know, can we reduce that? Are you really – what are you consuming mentally? Um, the other thing was communication, you know, really working on on and off the court being elite there. Uh, ownership, being accountable. Um, growth mindset, that's something, you know, really – I've found that a lot of kids, uh, younger kids, are struggling um, when they fail, you know, which you and I know that that all the great things from life come from, you know, they're born of some sort of failure, at least in my life they have Mm -hmm. been. And so just embracing that, expecting adversity, uh, learning how to be resilient and wanting to grow, and then really positive presence. I hope you saw that when you came to practice, Mm -hmm. just the energy. You know, we had, we mostly had that last year, but we're really trying to get all 14 bought in and owning the positive presence and body language, and we think that that's going to be turned into a competitive advantage down the road. So, yes, that's a long-winded answer to we love this summer access. I hated to see them go. They needed a break. <laughs> I will say they worked really hard. They needed a break, but uh, this five weeks was really instrumental um, in developing on and off the court what we want to do this season. Yeah, there are a ton of storylines as well for your team in the summer, which is obviously the big one is how do you follow up a record-setting season like you did. And, and you know, Neve Brown put a very fine point on it the first couple of days of, of summer camp is, hey, we, we, wanted, we didn't get what we wanted. We wanted the Southern Conference title. We didn't get it. And now we've got something to continue to work toward, and, and we're motivated for that. You talked a little bit about that uh, earlier. Did you get the sense that, as you said to your players, let's align our behaviors, not just our practice habits, not just the way we play, but also everything that we do has to be aimed toward that goal of winning a championship. Did that get the response that you were looking for, especially from your leadership group? 
I think it did, to your point and to Nave's point, last year, gosh, there was so much success, historic success for this program. But a couple things, uh, we did not show well. You know, it wasn't one of those nail biters in the semifinals. You know, there, there was a big egg that we dropped, and um, I think you call it laid an egg. I think we laid an egg, yeah. We, we, I didn't call it that, but I'll let the coach call it that. I, I, we were terrible. Um, and I own that. You know, I contributed to that. So there, there was that. Uh, also throughout the season, of course, there were some there were some lapses. You know, the beginning of conference play. I'm not sure that our kids were really ready for that mentally. You know, I don't, I don't think that uh, the competition was obviously stiff. I mean, I have a lot of respect for our SOCON opponents, but I also think we were not mentally prepared for that. So that happened. The Southern Conference Tournament happened, although we did win a game, which was great. You know, we got to the semifinals. And then we went to the Women's Basketball Invitation, and, and you know, there we broke records and played two really phenomenal offensive games. I mean, haven't seen a performance like that, you know, in – in a, many of my years of coaching in terms of, you know, a team that I was involved with. But we also lost to New Mexico State, and we did not win the championship. And so right. I don't think there's a sense of complacency, and, and that shined through in the summer. You know, I think our kids were hungry. Um, they were humble. They don't think they've arrived by any means. You know, there's no trophy in our locker room, none. You don't, you don't get a trophy for get, making the semifinals. You don't get a trophy for finishing third in the women's basketball invitation. So there's a lot left on the table, and I think our girls know that we can be better. You know, and it's going to take – it's going to require more. Uh, there are several individual storylines as well for you. Um, and I'll start with the one that really just got – it took off for us on social media when we talked about it is you have added a former walk-on, converted her to a scholarship player, Malia Kirtner. Um, which I think is, is great to see, you know, somebody come in, pay their own way, and, and get their, their work and their investment uh, in, in the program, rewarded by investment in them from the program. Um, what was that process like in putting Mel on scholarship for this season, and um, what, what has she brought uh, in response to that decision to, to uh, elevate her to a scholarship player? Well, you know, last year, and I don't have the stats directly in front of me, but Malia started in some games. She certainly contributed in every game that she played in. Uh, but there was also some games she did not play in. And so you're looking at how do players handle that? Do they still have your back in the locker room? Are they still positive? Are they still bought in? And to be able to do that, and, and the answer for her was yes. You know, no one does anything perfectly, but, um, you know, consistently, yes. She, she was appreciative and grateful to be a part of the program. Uh, even even with, you know, and listening to some of the feedback from her teammates last year, uh, she was probably one of our most grateful players for her opportunity. Well, that's interesting because she wasn't on scholarship. Right. You know, so when you're looking at sort of the feedback the kids are giving and Malia Kirtner is one of our most grateful players, that says a lot about her as a person and an individual. And I do believe she was grateful. But I wanted to make sure Malia understood in April when we made this decision, Mel, I'm not just giving you a scholarship out of PD or, you know, this is a good story. Right. Even though it turned out to be a great, a great story, story. But yeah. I'm not trying to, you know, make anybody's Twitter feed or get a 1,000 hits or whatever it got. You know, I want to reward somebody who's a good basketball player. So that's what I've encouraged to, you know, Malia to really focus on. Like, Mel, you're not just a cheerleader. You're not just the walk-on who got the scholarship, and that's a good old story. We need you to be a good basketball player in whatever role that means. 
just like you did last year, you'd be willing to step in and you know, work on your shot, work on your game, work on being more competitive. And so she understands that. But it was really cool, Keith, because we were still working out in the spring when I announced that to the team. And there's nothing like seeing the team celebrate each other. And they were super excited for Mel. Um, she's grateful. And so anytime you can do that um, with a walk-on, it, it's, a, it's a good situation. However, I would just caution folks to make sure they, they earn that, you know, and you're doing it for the right reasons, and, and I felt like we did. Now, I, I'm trying to get the story straight because I asked Mel about this. You told her before the practice where you announced it to the team, so she was fighting back tears at different points of the practice, and her teammates were checking out, like, are you okay? That, that, um, that had to be a, a little bit entertaining for the coach to watch, right? Yeah, I did tell her. You know, she yeah. came in, and, and we were talking about her getting a job, and, and I said, well, why don't we do this, Mel? Why don't we put you on scholarship next year? And, then, and of course, I didn't get too much. I didn't, wasn't able to finish my sentence, but she <laughs> burst into tears. Um, you know, and I've got a Kleenex box this year, Keith. I'm ready for all oh, yeah. You know, there's, there are tears shed sometimes. Um, and so, yes, yeah, she did know, and, you know, her parents were, again, super excited, and they've always been supportive. And, you know, it, it's great, too, when you can – your extended family, you know. I mean, obviously we've got our immediate family, but the parents and and the guardians of our kids, are our, they are our extended family, you know. And I, I know that sometimes there's going to be conflict, right? I mean, you, you know, when uh, parents of kids or um, even fans on the outside, there's always going to be because they don't see the entire picture, so you do appreciate when that support group of our players is really united with the coaches, and I have felt that from the Kurtners. And so mm-hmm. now I appreciate that. Um, you know, understanding it's not always going to be perfect. Right. Parents and fans are not always going to agree with me, and that's why I get paid the big bucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I don't whine and complain about that. I've got thick skin. Mm-hmm. But it, it's really more so for the student-athletes. Right. You know, when we can all come around the student-athlete and be on the same page and – and I think that will enhance our chances of, of winning. So I appreciate she and her family, you know, the support that they've given our program. And, um, yeah, was, was grateful to be able to give her a scholarship. And the other side of that, you know, Mel made an impact in several games. I think of the Longwood game in particular, she scores 10 points. And, you know, she kind of helped keep the team afloat in the first half. Then Neve took over in the third quarter, and you really got going offensively. But uh, you, there were situations where you had to play a player who was a non-scholarship player. And she earned that time, but your team – face some challenges of depth last season. You had a lot of young players. You, you didn't necessarily have a, a ton of players to begin with. Uh, and so when injuries hit, when illness hit, you were stretched thin. Do you feel like this summer with the additions you've made, the development of, of Jalea Cotton and Journey McDaniel, that your team is deeper going into this season? Yes, and I'm glad you brought up those two players in particular. Those were probably, you know, and, and again, I thought we had a great summer all the way around, but Journey McDaniel uh, has emerged um, on the court, off the court, her approach, her presence, all of it, all of it. Um, and so, and Jen, Jalea, uh, Jalea, Jalea Cotton, um, you know, she she's healthy. I think that's helping, you know, and, and so she's available and has been able to develop. You know, I think that fans would have seen a little bit more of Jalea, and we did towards the end of the year. You know, you saw her in the conference tournament. You saw her in the game here against Furman. Uh, but she was battling injuries so much, and as a freshman, and, and didn't get the benefit of preseason with us. And as a freshman, you need that. Well, as any 
in any year, in any stage of your career, you need to be developing, but especially coming in and, and just seeing her flourish and her, her smiling and enjoying playing. I mean, that, that brings me so much joy as a coach. So those two soft – and they're sophomores, man. Right. That's, that is so encouraging for our program and the, and the future of our program. But those two players have, have been tremendous. And since they're developing, and then, of course, Bree Beatty, Brianne Beatty from yes. Oakland, uh, she's adding a lot in terms of our, she's raising the, the bar competitively. She's a rebounder. She's a power player. Uh, but she's also just a, a bright spirit. You know, I mean, she's smiling. She's cutting up. She's also holding her teammates accountable, which – that's a tough thing to do coming as a new player, but her, but her teammates are receiving that because they, she's already making deposits in the bank. You know, right. she's putting in the work, she's consistent, and she's a good te- teammate in the locker room. And so, you know, with those additions, and then of course you got Breck and Snotherly. I mean, this kid's out running everybody as a freshman. I mean, she's a, an elite competitor. She's in elite shape. I've, I've loved everything that she's brought to the table so far. Samia Puckett has, you know, I felt like she had her best week, freshman from Atlanta, Georgia. She had her best week this past week, you know. I mean, she was battling a couple things. She's coming off, you know, a a knee injury. And, um, you know, I've been very pleased with her. She's got a ton of upside. You know, Lindy Ramsey, uh, unfortunately, uh, wasn't able to participate um, as much this summer. But we'll get her back. You know, again, that was um, not her choice, but, but due to a minor couple things that are going on injury-wise. So uh, pleased with our newcomers, pleased with the development of our returners, um, and so really looking for, for great things. Uh, when you mentioned Bree and, and the ability to hold teammates accountable, how much does having a former teammate be a current teammate in Kendall Foley help her out? Because they've already spent a summer together, they've spent a season together at Oakland, and now are reunited here, and, and – Kendall is and, and Bree both speak extremely highly of each other. So when you have a teammate, a former teammate that respects you, that's on your new team, I feel like that helps build credibility for you in the locker room. It does. It absolutely does. You know, Kendall was a big part of selling our program to Bree. You know, Bree was looking for very specific things in her next move, and according to her, we checked all those boxes. And Kendall did a really good job of selling our culture. I think that was. I mean, she wants to win. There's no question. She didn't win a championship while she was at Oakland, and so she wants to win. She wants to be a part of that, but she also wants to, I mean, and I don't blame her. You know, you want to enjoy this year. You want to be part of something where folks are working hard, but they're having fun, and it's a healthy culture. There's not uh, things that tend to happen in in a cutthroat culture or, you know, teammates mistreating one another. We talk a lot about that. How are you talking about your teammates? How are you, are you encouraging them? Are you uplifting what kind of locker room are we creating? And those are the things that Bree was looking for. And so my charge to her was then, well, you've got to contribute to that. That I want you, this is my expectation of you for coming in as a graduate student. Because I understand it's your first year at ETSU, but you're a fifth-year college basketball player. Right. And so I communicated to her, this is what I expect. And, and she was on board with that and, and has done so. Uh, Kendall took a big stride in conference play last season. What kind of expectations is she setting for herself, and and how are you pushing her to get to those expectations? Because I feel like she, it, it feels like she has an opportunity to take another big step forward this year. She does. I, you know, I hope the expectations that Kendall is setting though are reasonable. Mm. I think what happened with Kendall last year, as she as she progressively her contributions 
uh, progressively, um, you know, increased in terms of stat line. You know, of course, she's all she was our best court leader, I thought, in terms of being on the court. You know, because she's a floor general, she's a point guard, etc. But she started, you know, that stat line started increasing. Hey, I'm scoring some points, and I think she felt the pressure of that, though. You know, and so. I want her to obviously hold herself to a high standard in terms of competition, communication, execution, and the chips are going to fall where they're going to fall. You know, I, I, Kendall's not a kid that's going to sell herself short. If anything, there's a danger of her trying to carry too much of the burden. And I want her to play free. I want her to be able to trust her teammates and trust herself. Because she, what she did really well with her size was make great decisions. Is it me or is it my teammate? You know, she started learning how I can create in the paint, but I'm not going to get myself in trouble as a smaller player. You know, and I think you know at the beginning of the year there was more of getting herself in trouble, and then she learned you know when to go and when to defer. And so I'm really pleased with Kendall. I want her to have a great year, um, and I'm never telling a kid to set the bar low. Don't hear me saying that, but I want her ex- expectations to be reasonable. Do whatever it takes to help the team win, and, and she'll be just fine. What's it like to be reunited with Joy Therrington? Oh, joyous. <laughs> Joy, a great friend, um, wonderful human being. You know, there's a – I brought Joy here, obviously, because, you know, there's the practical logistics side of we needed somebody to help us uh, that had coaching experience. But Joy is a tremendous human being, um, high-character individual. She's someone uh, – if I had a daughter – I would want my daughter to be like Joy. I would have no problems dropping my daughter off and spending time with Joy because Joy is going to uplift and encourage, but she's also going to challenge in a healthy way. Uh, The way she speaks, the way she carries herself, um, she is someone that models the behavior that I would like for our kids to emulate. And not that the other assistants do not do that. Uh, You know, I've got a great staff all the way around, but, you know, I I definitely trust Joy and – love what she's bringing to the program in terms of basketball acumen, but also mentorship and guidance to these young ladies. How important is it, or valuable is it, to have that extra staff member in terms of splitting up into groups in practice and, and just keeping up with as many players as, as you have to keep up with? Because it's a it's a little bit of a bigger roster than, than we see on the men's side, where it's typically three staffers. You've got now, I guess, five with Alyssa Sweeney, your director of operations. Yes. Uh, you know, first of all, I'd like to thank Doc Sander. You know, when he and I were talking about the vision for women's basketball and where we could go and how we could adjust some things. Now, we did uh, – we, we used to have graduate assistants. Mm-hmm. And so what we decided to do collectively and, I, and having a discussion with him was we would not have graduate assistants. We would add another full-time person to women's basketball. Um, to me, people are paramount. You know, that's what makes ETSU special. You know, I think we have solid facilities because, especially because of the fan base. <laughs> like nobody wants to come to Brooks. <laughs> who, who wants to come to Brooks? You know, a thousand, eleven hundred. I'm, I'm aiming for twelve, thirteen hundred. So Johnson City, if you're listening, <laughs> uh, we uh, Asheville, if you're listening, it's not that far yeah, of a drive. Right, yeah, right, bring it on. Yeah. UNCA's not playing. Come over the mountain. You know, I mean. We want 12, 1,300 fans. We want to continue to grow that. Towards the end of the year, it was electric in there. And so, yes, we have some good facilities. The campus is beautiful. Johnson City is amazing. 
But to me, what makes ETSU special is the people. And, and so I'm going to always look to hire folks that um, are elite and high-character individuals. And so Doc was on board with that. So I you know, want to publicly thank him for supporting the vision and investing in women's basketball. Uh, because, I, as you said, it's, it's making already a huge difference in practice. And also just you know, for the girls. I mean, they, they have plenty of resources uh, to help them. And so, um, yeah, this, this should make a, a really big difference. And for this level of Division One to have six full-time staff, including me, is, is huge. Aside from finding time to sleep, what's been the toughest part of this offseason? Wow, that's a great question. Um, probably juggling recruiting. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, the recruiting landscape in women's basketball, you know, we've got a weekend in April, a weekend in May. And I'm about, about weekends, I mean, you know, three to four days in each the weekend in April, May, June, that was new. You know, so you have camp in June, and now we've got to go recruit because there's a high school period where college coaches can go evaluate kids with their high school now. Well, you think, great, but then, you know, you're looking at your budget, you're looking at your time, you're looking at when is the downtime for the staff. And then, of course, July is just crazy because we've got recruiting, we've got our kids on campus, and actually this past week we had three uh, rising seniors on campus. And so, wow. you know, our kids are participating in that. Uh, we, we had a lead camp on Saturday. So I think that what we're, what I was juggling was was recruiting. You know, we want to make sure, obviously, that we're investing in our – and I, I really, you know, kudos to the staff. I want to just – Joe, Jackie, uh, Eric, Gracia, he has been a tremendous addition. Tremendous. I mean, some of the graphics and some of the things we were able to do for prospective student-athletes – um, really elite Power Five level things. Um, they have really worked their tails off to make sure that we are investing as much in our future players, or, or almost as much. It's never going to be as much as our current players, but that we are investing as much in them because the way we treat them is the way we're going to treat them when they come here. You know, we never stop recruiting our players. We don't. You know, I mean, they're the most. Again, the people are the most important commodity here. I mean, and we want to take care of them and so yeah recruiting was probably the the biggest thing to juggle is it do you think it has value to have prospects on campus during summer camp like that where they can take in a workout they can see how your team operates and it's not just you know theoretical it's oh here's all our facilities here's our student center you actually get to see the nuts and bolts of the program yes I mean and and we really because kids are making these decisions in this coming you know most of our Prospective student-athletes are making decisions in the next month. And so taking advantage of the two weeks in August that our kids are here, um, because you you don't want to bring – if they're coming for an official visit especially, you want to make sure they have access to the kids because, honestly, they're our biggest selling point. I mean, I think we're great as a staff, obviously. ETSU is, you know, wonderful, but the kids are the tipping point. You know, when they – we do panels with our kids, like where we give – uh, recruits and their parents access to our kids without us around, and I appreciate our, our you know, our players are honest, uh, and we want them to be because we want to make sure what you see when you come on your visit is what you get if you choose ETSU, and so um, you know I, I think the visits during the summer are great, and hopefully you know in November when I can talk about some of our um, commitments and things like that, you guys fan base will be very pleased I believe. We cannot discuss them publicly, but, yes, uh, very excited about some of the players you've got lined up in the recruiting class of 2024. The second-year head coach of the Bucks, Brendan Mock-Brown, with us in studio on the Jay and Keith Show. Mock, it's great to see you. Thanks for giving us some time, and uh, looking forward to seeing your team back on the floor in September.
Thanks, Keith, and thanks for all your support, too. Put a wrap on it. Jay Leah Cotton, breakout player in 2023-24. Super athletic. Extremely. And just, just Had got some a little. bad luck, really? Got a, yeah, it was bad luck. Got a little overwhelmed with the basketball in her hands at times last year. But I talked to her about it, the game slowing down for her. She spent a lot of time with Kendall Foley, working with her. I think that's going to help her a lot, too. Uh, her and Journey McDaniel, probably the first two players off the bench, question mark. We'll see. There's some competition on that team. And, and I talked at nauseum with you about the strides Kurtner made the previous year and to see her earn the scholarship. That was a really tremendous, cool. yeah. tremendous story and great for her. Especially a lo- yeah. local girl being able to, to. I think that's also our most engaged tweet ever at Bucks Sports Radio. All right, end of the week, we'll talk a little more football as we get ready for kickoff on Jane Keith. I, I will never be on scholarship. Oh, you got to be kidding me.